There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. This week, we meet a former professional rugby player turned author, and talk to a leading fertility doctor about why it is one in seven couples are experiencing problems conceiving. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Uh, welcome back to Balasam Zarexel. Now, did you know that one in seven couples will find it hard to conceive? Uh, is that because we are just having babies later? Is it because we literally don't know what we're doing? Or is it because previously we would have found it hard to conceive, but we wouldn't have realised that was a problem? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wonder if all our access to medical knowledge now has made more of us think we should be able to have a baby. Here to answer some of my questions, we have Dr. Hippocrates Saris. Hello, welcome. Hello, hello. Uh, so you specialise in fertility and you're a member of the Royal College of Obstetricians and also gynaecology. Um, tell us, why why are there so many couples struggling to get pregnant? Well, that's a very good question. Actually, you almost answered bits good. of it uh, at the uh, beginning of your, sort of your introduction when you said that we are uh, leaving things a little bit later. So the average age of uh, women giving birth now is going um, up and up. And unfortunately, even with modern medical intervention, we can only try to optimise things, but we still have nature that we cannot overcome. Are you telling me that it's the fact that women are having babies later on in life that is making fertility difficult? No, it's not as simple as that. That's and it a would very have, sensible answer and, on your behalf. <laughs> I would have been uh, very unwise to imply that that was the only reason. It's a combination of things. And actually, you know what? It's not just women. It's also uh, from the male side as well. Mm-hmm. So there's more and more evidence showing that uh, male fertility is declining as well. And actually, although we always used to accuse women that they're getting older, actually men, as they become uh, older, their ability to father children declines as well. See, I didn't realise this so the other day. Yeah. I thought that men's sperm was just good to go, like, but it's not actually, is it? Their fertility does decline. So it does decline indeed. It does. And there is this concept which uh, not everybody subscribes to called the adrenopause, uh, which is the equivalent, I guess, in some ways of the female equivalent. The male menopause. Oh, I knew it was a thing. What is the male menopause or the adrenopause? The drop in <laughs> testosterone. Isn't that right, Doctor? <laughs> exactly. Uh, which oh, um, I guess the, the difference between uh, <laughs> one of the different obviously between men and women and that for uh, women there is an absolute point after which they uh, cannot uh, mm-hmm. uh, conceive with men there is no such absolute point but it does uh, decline with time as well does that i'm sorry i just 
I'm now obsessed with the idea of the adrenopause potentially explaining my dating life. Does that mean that men's behaviour is changing as their testosterone drops? Yes, yeah. uh, but to some extent you're right. <laughs> of course, you know, energy and stamina and libido will be associated with uh, testosterone. Um, I'm not really sure I can answer if that really, uh, what that means about your um, dating life, as you said. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that as well. What so kind of doctor are you? <laughs> <laughs> There's an amazing theory going around, which is that men in their kind of late 40s, early 50s want to date significantly younger women because that's the point when their testosterone has dropped and so they need more care and nurture so they want to be with somebody who is more caring and nurturing whereas for women if you're going through the menopause at that point that's the point when you're oh get me right estrogen progesterone levels are dropping Dro- yes estrogen yeah. is dropping yes yes and so theoretically we're less in baby making mode so we our bodies are less caring less nurturing so we have less time for that and that's when you go Isn't to the toy boys yeah well actually it's not that that, <laughs> that wrong and there is something fascinating it has to do with, with the egg and the sperm so actually uh, a sperm as it goes as we men become older, uh, becomes more and more um, damaged and less able to fertilize eggs. And eggs which are younger can repair older sperm and you can, uh, that's can why they? they can. And can that's they? why that's why older women do, uh, sorry, uh, older men uh, do uh, better from a fertility point of view with uh, younger women because the younger eggs can repair the sperm. But women are amazing, the other right? way as well is true. So when you have an older woman whose potentially eggs cannot repair sperm as well, if you have a younger uh, partner who has more healthy sperm, you don't need to repair it as much so you can do better. <laughs> so actually it works both oh, ways. Nature is fair. Also, I love this idea that for years and years we've been saying, like, look at Picasso, he had babies in his 80s. No, it wasn't Picasso, it was his super young girlfriend. <laughs> With her, her, her amazing eggs. eggs. And, and, so, versa. and so what is... Um, yeah, so I think we've all had friends that have um, gone through multiple rounds of, of IVF. And I definitely think as I've got older, conversations around infertility have increased. And I would say out of maybe 10 sets of friends, half of them are trying various uh, fertility treatments. So something has shifted. What other than age, what else do you think is going on? Is it lifestyle? Should I put down the glass of red wine? What else? What's going on? I think it's a number of things. I think lifestyle is very important. Definitely, we are living a more unhealthy uh, lifestyle. It's not just what we eat, but also is what we do or we don't do. Obviously, we live in cities, which inherently will be more polluted. But saying that, also, it's awareness. I mean. Uh, more and more people will talk about their infertility problem because they feel more um, empowered to do so. Mm-hmm. To be perfectly honest, the last thing that most, especially men, will do, they're not going to go to their friends or a dinner party and start a conversation how they can't have uh, um, children with their partner. If anything, they tend to withdraw from that conversation. I think it's very important to be able to um, allow people to, to, to have open conversations with their friends. And I think that is another reason why more and more people are uh, realising that the problem is not as insignificant and one, as one might think. But the, uh, in, so in addition to that, I think there's also been more by way of advertising. I can't get on a tube at the moment without seeing a come to the London fertility, fertility fair. clinic yeah. fair or, or and, fairs, yeah. and choose a baby yeah. uh, or on you know on social media every other thing it's that clear meh 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 
it, uh, as soon as I hear the noise, it drives me mm. insane because YouTube is, has, is assuming that I don't have children and I really need to have children right now and therefore I need to check my fertility. And so do you think there's also something oh, it, it, from a media advertising perspective where we're constantly talking about it and making people hyper alert and We've anxious? We've created a demand yeah. for it. Is it a bit of com yeah. commoditization though as well yeah. of having children? It's interesting you mention it because there is uh, this controversial sort of uh, um, concept of a fertility check and actually what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And actually if you look at the investigations that we have, they're not very uh, accurate at being able to predicting uh, your chance if you don't otherwise are trying at that particular moment in time of having children in the future. So there is that sort of concept that you might be scaring people. At the same time, though, it's important to be aware and for people to know uh, what the facts are. So very frequently I will see in my clinic um, couples in their late 30s, early 40s, not realising what the chance of success are and thinking also that IVF can overcome everything and it can't. Mm. So I think it's an important balance of not to scare people, but at the same time people to be aware that uh, they should um, uh, uh, actually know what the facts are around fertility and how things do change, unfortunately, with time. As I said at the beginning, we can't overcome nature. And what are some of the facts then? I didn't realise until maybe six months ago that we have less eggs as we get older than mm -hmm. we started with. Like we start with two million or something and then they, they're less. Yeah. I honestly generally didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, usually a woman is born with about one to two million eggs. By the time she starts her periods, she has approximately uh, half a million, 300,000 eggs. And by the time she uh, finishes her periods at the um, age of the menopause, let's say uh, about 50, 51, she only would have released around 400, 500 eggs, which doesn't sound a lot, but one egg per month, so 12 months a year. Yeah, so yeah, exactly, Natalie. That's what I where, do, where are they going if we're not? So they are used up in a useful sort of way because for every one egg that is released, there is a number of them that compete in order for them to, for the best one to come out. A bit like in the sperm. There's a million of sperm in an ejaculate and they all compete. And uh, women, uh, sorry, eggs uh, do the same, but they do it inside the female body. Oh. And, uh, you know, they're not friends with each other. They, they compete. It's not a sorority. It's not a friendliness. <laughs> you know, they want to become a it's baby. It's not the vampire in there. No, they want to become a baby. <laughs> so there's a very big attrition for each one egg that is released. There are quite a few that have to be used up, and that's why uh, all the eggs are used up. But also it's not just the numbers, it's also the quality of eggs, as opposed to sperm, which is constantly produced, uh, because women are born with the eggs they're ever going to have, they age the same way that the rest of our body ages. So the actual quality and ability of an egg to be able to um, make a healthy baby goes down with time as well. Interesting. What do you think about the um, controversy that's been around single women not being able to apply for, for IVF? And do you ever treat single women privately for... Hold on, can we not? Not on the NHS. Not on the NHS, no. Oh. No, and I, uh, we, uh, I do treat women privately, and I think that uh, a discussion about being able to treat women on the NHS should uh, be had. And actually, uh, just recently, just uh, one week ago, I had a meeting with our local commissioners to talk exactly about uh, offering uh, fertility treatment to um, single women on the NHS. Um, and some of the arguments that have been used about not offering are actually, frankly, I think, quite ridiculous. Are they? What are the arguments? What's the pushback on it? Well, one argument was that single women don't make as good parents as being a couple, which I think wow. is actually... Wow. Because uh, couples don't break up? 
Yeah. Well, I, I don't agree with this uh, particular <laughs> yeah. sort of uh, argument, which is why I think uh, mm. uh, there should be a discussion and uh, definitely debunking myths like that. And mm. um, Going back to the point you uh, were making earlier around IVF doesn't work for everyone. It, again, it, I just assumed it did. So what are the scenarios where it wouldn't? Well, sometimes it's just bad luck. I mean, IVF by and large works between one and three to one and four times, let's say. It can be a range anywhere from 50-50 all the way down to less than 5%. Uh, the vast majority of that will be because of the change of the age. So the older woman is, the more likely the IVF cycle is to be unsuccessful. Beyond that, there are some fundamental reasons that things might not work. So incredibly poor sperm or equality, for example, or abnormalities in the womb that cannot be uh, rectified. So some things we cannot change. Um, and frankly, sometimes we just don't know. Mm. Uh, it would be um, uh, quite arrogant of us as doctors to assume and to pretend that we know everything. We don't. And every day, every month, there are new discoveries and we change our understanding about uh, fertility. So you, you can successfully match, this is my technical language, match the sperm with an egg, but it's not always the case that that will then result in a baby. But th the process of the sperm and the egg, that bit always happens. Yeah, I think uh, one can imagine a bit like this. With uh, IVF, we try to optimise things. We align the stars to make a line. But by the end of the day, if the stars are not there, we'll never be able to align them. So we do not create life. We do not create babies, uh, the egg and the sperm, create the babies, all we do is just bring them together. So fundamentally, if they're incorrect, if they're abnormal, we will not be able to have the desired effect. Mm. What do you think of the idea that by allowing women to have babies later and later on in life, we're essentially slightly playing God and potentially setting up kids for dealing with old age illness, potentially death at a much younger age? Well, I think, again, it comes back to, you know, how would we find a family? Uh, let's even not think about IVF, but we have um, children who are brought up by grandparents, for example, mm -hmm. and we wouldn't uh, consider that to be uh, something abnormal. And also we are living much um, um, longer life, so what is old is different to what it was potentially 20 years ago considered old. And there is evidence to show that older parents do not make worse parents. If anything, the opposite might be true. And finally, if a woman is thinking of coming to you for IVF, what are kind of one or two things that you would tell her before to kind of yes, put herself in the best possible state for it? That is a difficult question. I think <laughs> trying to be healthy without being extreme. So, of course, minimising alcohol uh, intake, not smoke, have a healthy lifestyle and try to have a healthy weight as well. For the man as well. As it's not just for the woman. It always takes two. Uh, and beyond that, I think, is trying to be open-minded and to uh, try to possibly not read too much uh, what, uh, what's on out there on the internet. There's a lot of uh, misinformation out there, a lot of opinions and beliefs, but not uh, mm. facts. Thank you so much. Dr. Ibrakratis Saris, it's been lovely chatting to you. Uh, thank you for coming into Badass Women's Hour XL. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL. The reason that we have the Bill theme tune is that we have a real life police officer in the studio with us. Welcome, Lee Cockburn, to Badass Women's Hour. 
Hi, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's actually Coburn. My brother's just said uh, they've said Cockburn. I know. It's Cockburn, but it's a silent CK. But you know what? Thank goodness. (laughs) Thank goodness it's silent. (laughs) How many times have you had to explain that? Because you used to be a rugby Uh, player, so that's like. 350,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> I used to swim before and they so there's Leanne Cockburn and I would say it's Lee no. Cockburn. No. <laughs> so you are, you're now a police officer but before that you've had a career in international sport. Tell us about that. Uh, I played rugby. I've now played for 29 years but I played for Scotland for 15 years in the number four shirt uh, and got 77 caps. We were the first team to play ever in 1993 for Scotland uh, beating Ireland. Um, on Valentine's Day, it was called the Valentine's Day Massacre, but we only beat them ten. Now. <laughs> but yeah, and then we, I played thereafter until two thousand and six, where I, where I left the team, not through my choice, but you know what? If I hadn't left, I wouldn't have had my children. So oh. every cloud and everything happens for a reason. What do you think about women's rugby now? Do you feel like things are changing in a good way? Do you feel like women's rugby is getting more support than recognition? Oh, yeah, recognition? it's leaps and bounds away from nineteen ninety three. Paid for our shirts paid for accommodation, paid for everything, whereas now you've got full contracts for women and it's just really come come on and, you know, people are taking women more seriously because there was the, the not taking women seriously and I said, yeah. well, look at the size of me. I'm six foot one. Yeah. I'm actually nearly 17 stone, but, you oh. know, I carry it well, I think. I'm quite <laughs> heavy. What difference? Because that's, that's a struggle with women's sport, isn't it? Is that, you know, women are having to work twice as hard because a lot mm. of them have got full-time jobs. They're having to, to, you know, raise funds to pay for everything. If you were actually paid to to do rugby professionally at that time, what impact do you think that would have had on, on your performance and, and you all as a team? I think everyone would have played, a, you know, a lot, lot better. But I have to say for Scotland, for the girls, it's, it's not the size of the dog, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah. Because England, we beat England twice and they were quite shocked that we actually did. So were we. It was 1998. <laughs> and then 1999, we won the first... Uh, Five Nations in 1998. That's how old I am. I'm 51. <laughs> but hey, yeah, you know, wow, we, but we've not beaten them since 1999. So right. thanks. You left, and that was it. Yeah, because I left. No, no, there was better players than me, definitely. And so, from sport, were you were you always a police officer? No, no, I worked in a leisure centre for 13 years. I was a duty manager at the Royal Commonwealth Pool in Edinburgh. I loved that job. But they moved me to a a centre with no swimming pool. So I said, well, I'll join the police then. So I did. I got in at 32, I joined the police. Wow, Okay. And so how did you reconcile, you know, one career and one life with a new one? We were speaking earlier to someone that's had 25 different jobs before the age of 25. But it's not common for lots for people to shift from... Yeah, big career big, changes. That's what I the, was it was for. a it was a hard career change. I have to say, what you see on the television and what you actually do is is a completely different thing. They don't tell you all the things you're going to have to look at frequently and how close you're going to have to look at them and just where people store things and and just the things that you deal with you know women have two suitcases men have one and, and then and then and all the wee things that they take in the little special bag it's like oh my goodness i didn't think i'm gonna to have to look <laughs> in the police there's so many you, you, you do so many good things and you, you save so many nice people mm. um some people hate you but you know the only ones that hate you are the ones you're chasing so yeah the, the, the majority of people 
tend to need us a wee bit, and I'm glad because I'm proud to say it. Absolutely. Did you do you specialise in a particular area, or oh, you no, just frontline? Front I, I used wow. to do public order, you know, helmets and shields. I've done, I did that yeah. for 14 years. I'm still trained, but I need a knee replacement, so I'm not allowed to do that yet until I get that fixed. Because um, I'm getting an osteotomy, that'll be quite sore, but I'll be able to run again. So How good. Being frontline at kind of big things, I'm thinking big anything from kind of big sporting events to big political unrest. How scary is that? Because we always, generally when it gets reported in the media, it's always, I think there's a bit of a spin towards police as the baddies, other always. people as the good people. Police are always the baddies, but we're not we're actually, actually the baddies. Scary, yeah. I was in the G8 and I have to say at one point there was 400 plus of them in front of us and we had wow. 26 and it was pitch dark and I went, oh my goodness, we're, we're quite outnumbered here. In the middle of the night, we did a 25-hour shift and we were doing running lines on a motorway wow. uh, on the M9 in Stirling. So so it was it was very interesting. But one or two times I was a bit scared, I have yeah. to say. I was going to say, how, how, do you, how do you cope with that? Because every day you're going to work and you are putting yourself at risk. You're putting your life at risk. Do you consciously think about that? Like, how do you deal with that? As I'm, I'm a sergeant just now, so there is a lot more clerical than used to be, but uh, when yeah. I am out, um, I'm, I, I don't get frightened. If you were frightened, you couldn't do the job. Mm. You've just got to uh, react to whatever happens and hope it's not something that's going to not let you go home at the end of the evening. But what about, the best. You, to that point, you know, having a partner at home, every day when you leave, is there not a thing of... Yeah, I'm, ge- I'm, ge- I'm going out to save people. <laughs> I'm like, I'd walk in every day and be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, my female partner's in the police as well, but she's licensing, but she does have to go out into bars and, and other okay. things like that. And she has been frontline. She's dealt with axe-wielding horrible people as well, and I've, I've had people punch me in the face and knock wow. me out and try and steal my baton wow. and things like that. And I just went, ah, I got a half day, so it was super. Oh, she's in the force as well? Yeah, she's right behind. Okay, she's so much I... smaller, five foot four, pretty police, whereas I'm quite burly, scary police. So it's quite <laughs> I'm built for being in the police. I'm quite. I just look at folk. I appear intimidating, but I'm quite social working. So there was no, there was no kudos for going off and and, and saving lives. But okay. you know, she just goes both of you, were there, Was there a sense of? Um, I don't know, just an acknowledgement about the work that you do. I often think about people that are in um, emergency response. Just that, it, like, it's not easy, but you, you do it every day like it is. It's not something that everyone can do. Not everyone can... Not at all. Emily used to be in the um, inquiry office, which deals with death all the time, and, mm. and Emily doesn't have a sense of smell. So Emily dealt with a rather horrible death, but it was practically liquid. And uh, she came back and I went... <laughs> Oh, she goes, oh, do I smell? I went, oh my goodness, you're going to have to go in the shower. Because because we do deal with a lot of deaths. Yeah. And as a sergeant, yeah. I have to go, if any death that's happened on my shift in my area, I have to go and make sure there's nothing more sinister, wow. as, get... as in it's not a murderer or anything like that. Every death. Do you get used to Five seeing a day dead is people? My most, lots of dead people. So is it just normal to see a dead person now? Yeah. Well, you've got How to many check... dead people do you have to see before it becomes normal? About four. Really? <laughs> well, this, but it's never normal. It's not normal because no. of the families and the sadness. That's yeah. never normal. No. But the body never shocks mm. me. Sometimes the, the smells and the, the, the situation mm. that's created that. Um, and you've got to yeah. turn people over. And if they've been there yeah. a little while, little pieces stay behind. And it's just, it's not ideal. But, but like psychologically, though, yeah. dealing with some of these situations, you know, like how do you, how do you prepare yourself to, how do you, 
prepare yourself to cope with that and learn to cope with that or do you not and did really? rugby help like because there's a resilience yeah. so i'm trying to i'm trying to get into your yeah. deepest inner <laughs> psycho after the majority of deaths i i i'm really sad one the saddest one the, the old man that's lost his old his partner and and, and I'm, i'll go to my police car and i'll be sobbing because i'm i just feel the pain of the person or, or parents or whoever mm. that, you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Mm. But you, you do your job, you deal with the body. It's the least, the least worrying yeah. piece of it. It's mm. the sadness that goes with it. And that, I'm still a softie. I don't look like one, but I am <laughs> yeah. a complete soft person. Mm. And it breaks my heart that someone's lost someone, especially mm. the earlier, you know, the younger days. It's just... Does it, does it keep life in perspective for you, though? If you're dealing with that every day, I mean, most of us are not, you know, we get caught up in our you know, our lives and our mm. own little drama. But when you're seeing, you know, I don't know, five dead people in a day, does it keep your world in perspective? Does it, it does very your... much. And I, it, it stops me saying I hate getting old because right. the alternative's quite horrible. Yeah. And, you know, appreciate every minute of your life. We all assume we might be getting 70. That's not yeah. that's not on the cards necessarily. You might have 10 more minutes. You just don't know it. So you've got to embrace it and enjoy every single minute you've got. And being 52, yeah. I'm counting down. <laughs> but still, I'm hoping for at least another 30, hopefully. <laughs> we are going to keep chatting to Lee because not only is she a rugby player turned police officer, she's also turned crime novel mm-hmm. author, bringing her own experiences to the page. We're going to be chatting to her about that coming up next here on Badass Women's Hour XL. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Badass Women's RxL. Sorry, I thought there was going to be some music. There wasn't. Uh, and also, we've been talking about what happens when you meet a baddie. With yeah, Lee say that again, Lee. Uh, well... As I said, my baddie in my first book is more bad than anyone that I've ever met. But I have to say, the, the, the one or two, maybe three, really bad people that I've met or people that make me really uncomfortable, you feel it. It's an instinct. Really? And, and, you know, and your hair stands on the back of your neck and you know that, that they're not telling you they're going to do anything horrible to you. You just can feel 
the, the badness oozing from them. So, yeah, not, not too many. In 19 years, I'd say maybe three that made me really uncomfortable. Sarah, I found it interesting. Many, many years ago, I thought I wanted to be a criminal barrister and I went and did some work experience, a couple of different work experiences with various criminal barristers and got to hang out with various criminals that they were defending. And I felt you could always... You could always, even the ones that were like charming and lovely and great fun and I had a really nice time with them, there's something they would say or do and you'd suddenly go, oh, okay, you are charming and lovely, but you're also six foot four and used to be a driver for the Cray Brothers. So I just got to remember that while we're having a nice chat about Sunday lunches, <laughs> there is another side to you. Um, Lee, you're now an author as well. How much of police life goes into the books? The humour goes into the books. Uh, it's very much fiction. My books are very sexy, very violent, very, very violent. Very graphic. Sexy and violent. Sexy and violent. Well, you're either getting murdered or loved or uh, some other hideous violation. Um, but the, but uh, the, the main theme is good versus evil. Uh, okay. It takes a wee while in book one and... Uh, <laughs> I feel a bit harsh on the poor ladies and uh, it was a woman that made my first chapter that but that bit more horrific and I wish I hadn't I wish I'd left it how it was but a uh, thrilling gripping uh, how did you get into writing yeah. I read a book that was 200 pages and it was, it was just thoroughly dull and he's a multimillionaire and I thought, oh my goodness, that's not very exciting. Love I'm it. going to write one how I'd really? like to read one. Yeah. So I'd like yeah. some sex, I'd like some violence. <laughs> I'd like some more sex and then some more violence and then <laughs> gripping, thrilling from page one to page 330. No dull padding, no over description about the cup, maybe a more description about the lovely person with no clothes on. <laughs> yeah, it was more like everything I like in life. Lots of it. Love it. Yeah, love it. Well, this isn't good enough, so I'm going to do my own. Yeah, but no, no, no. There's other people that will love that book, but I didn't. Yeah. I thought, dull old, yeah. I think I'll write my own. And this well, is your third book you're on yeah, now? Yeah, I've just okay. finished book three and I've started book four. Wow. She is horrible in book four. I thought I'd have a right so good... So it's the same character in each one now? No, no, no. Different like... criminals okay. in each one. Different. So the first one's an evil, horrible rapist. The second one's a vigilante the next one's human trafficking and a drug lord Ooh. and the next one's quite an evil young lady mm. yeah, and do you the, write the, it from the perspective of the villain then? I write it from yes the villain and the, the, the two police officers there's a lovely yeah. strikingly beautiful gay female and a very very handsome <laughs> very great lover male it's a fiction book yeah. and I'm <laughs> only kidding young men out there I'm only kidding yeah I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> but no my characters are very aesthetically beautiful because of the type of things they get up to. So. <laughs> and, I mean, so again, so like rugby player, swimmer, police officer, author, creating these sexy but violent <laughs> stories. We're getting a sense, Lee, of what's going on in, 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 in that mind. Um, you know, how, how, how do you decide to make things happen? It, it, again, it, I almost feel like you just take life life on and is is that does that come from being a sportswoman at the beginning of your, your career just making things happen getting on with it I don't know my dad said you know not everybody's like you you know and I'm like yeah. what do you mean by that <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh, really and the more I think about it how my character I'm just I'm just this creature of I don't know what I'd call myself I can't help myself I'm like happy 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 joyous yeah, yeah. and then I write hideous books and then happy <laughs> and I'm a mother of two beautiful nine-year-old boys and they are the the 
biggest joy of my life. I don't Aww. write when I'm anywhere near them. Aww. I couldn't write for two years when, when Hemley and I had a baby each, three months apart to the same donor. I mean, I have to ask about this because this is amazing because you and your partner decided you were going to have a baby. At 41 and, and 42. At what point did you, did you always decide we're going to have two babies together did you decide you want to have two did one of you get pregnant and then you were like actually while we're doing this we might as well yeah, go through it together no, no no I was 38 when I gave up sport and I thought well I'm worried about my parents um, not being here mm-hmm. and I'm worried that I've not got children so I thought well let's try one shall we can't yeah. stop one but I'll go yeah. and then because we're both older we couldn't wait two or three years yeah. between so we both mm-hmm. tried it at the same time and we fell pregnant three months apart uh, with the 49 pence boot syringe <laughs> 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 Cheap skates, yeah, we're from Scotland. <laughs> Again, making life happen. I love it. Oh, yeah. And it's, I'm bring, coming back to it because we had a conversation earlier today about women wanting to be entrepreneurs but not having the confidence to do it or not necessarily seeing themselves there to do it. You didn't see lots of women playing rugby, but you did it anyway. You read a book and you thought, meh, not for me, I'm going to write my own. And now you're on book number four. So again, I'm going to go back. What is it? What's the thing? What's your secret sauce? I'm just a really happy person. I'm not. Oh, you, you know, just fearless. Are you just fearless at taking risks? Are you just? I'm like... scared of heights, so I don't like ex- this 14th floor thing. <laughs> right, going yeah, on, yeah. I'm going to go over to the window and look out. But <laughs> I'm, I'm not fearless. I'm just. I like to to do things. I mean, when someone asked me to play rugby at the beginning, I went, oh, no, I'm not doing that. But then six months later, Sue Brodie did ask me again, and I went, okay, I'll, I'll give it a wee shot. And it was really brilliant, the decision and the, the, the doors that opened, not necessarily open, but just the people you met and the experiences we had. Three World Cups, four European Championships. We won the European Championships How in 2001. How old were you when you took up rugby? 22. So, okay. and you'd been a swimmer before that? Yeah, for 13 years. So yeah. how different? different was it going from a sport that is kind of you in your lane mm-hmm. looking ahead doing your thing to a sport which a is a team sport so there's 15 of you on the pitch you've all got to work together and also a sport where nobody's crashing into you when you're swimming in your lane are they nobody's well, trying no, to yeah, take you, you do down. occasionally get a slap in the back of their head because you think move over or you get your finger stuck in the plastic lane you're like oh. Oh. but other than that you know, it's really sore about that oh, it's horrific yeah. or you tumble turn too close to the wall and break your ankle yeah, all these things are lovely. Or when you dive off the boards, not the boards, the blocks, when we were younger. Yeah. It didn't matter if the water was less than a metre back then when there was no health and safety. Your knees would get scraped and it's like, on you go. And you're higher up. It's like, oh. I loved swimming, but it was harder to go from swimming to rugby because you're supported, your weight's supported. And I was really slim when I played rugby. When I started running, my ankles were like, sort of, old cankily ankles and like <laughs> but then I had to go for physiotherapy to change from one sport to the other because oh, I was swimming up to five hours a day wow just to be okay at swimming whereas I joined the rugby within three weeks I'm in the Scotland squad <laughs> because I'm just ginormous so it was, I said you're great at being big so you can be in you come and from then on and then obviously we did start training harder and did start playing well but it was so good. So the best decision ever. Thanks. So what's, what's, what other stuff do you want to do? It sounds like, you know, yeah. you've been doing all these things and you nailed your writing and you're still doing that. What else, What other stuff are you going to do? Is that it now? Are you like, okay, I'm going to do my police, I'm going to be a great parent, I'm going to write my books, that's it, I'm done. I don't sleep an awful lot, so I don't know. Okay. We maybe get four hours sleep a day at do the very you're one of those ones, Well, no, I, no yeah. I'd, I'd much rather have loads more, oh, but I right. do night shifts, pack shifts, early shifts, take the uh, kids to school. Yeah. But I don't know what else I'm going to do. I don't, I've not thought about it yet. Yeah. Maybe when I get down from here, I'll go, hmm, what can I do next? I'm going to yeah. write five books. I'll finish at oh, five, okay. unless I make loads and loads of money. We'll see. But I don't, yeah. It's not about the money. It's just been about 
a little bit more comfortable and yeah. not taken away from the children. Because at the moment, I haven't made a lot of money. Do you, fact, them, not made any. do you sell them through a publisher? Did you self-publish? I'm self-published, which Amazing. means you have to pay up to three thousand. The first one was four thousand two hundred fifty, yeah. and oh, each has wow. been three grand so much so since then. And then there's the outlay and what you get back, and what you get back doesn't appear to be what you seem to be selling. <laughs> so I've, I've actually spoken to J.K. Rowling, and she did say. She lives a mile away from me, by the way. Does she? <laughs> yeah, she does. I wait for her house every day. Yeah, security guard. Goes, <laughs> but, uh, no, um, she said um, book sharing and the inability to see the, the, the royalties that you're actually right at the beginning yeah. when you're starting off. You, mm. you have no power of seeing what you should be earning. So mm, who knows? Right. I'll okay. take my £80 every six yeah. months. <laughs> but hopefully this next book will make some money. So we'll see. Yeah. Just to, to put it back in. Hey, to the kids and yeah, wow! You sold, yeah. <laughs> you sold it to us. Yeah, you sold it to us. Sex and violence—all my favourite things. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Demons Fire is the name of the new book. Is it out now? It came out on the seventh, and the ones before that, Devil's Demise, is the first one. You got to read them in order. It's a wee series, <laughs> and then the next one's Porcelain Flesh of Innocence, where mm. retribution happens much, much quicker. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, book one. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be a Netflix series. <laughs> I think it does. <laughs> uh, Luke Irwin, thank you so much for coming on Jonas Madison. It's been a joy chatting to you. Thank you. One, two, three, four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.